If you would like to support the show, please go to patreon.com slash heaven in a miniskirt. If you join Club V, you will receive one bonus episode per month. We hope to see you there. No, you can't get to heaven. No, you can't get to heaven. In a miniskirt. In a miniskirt. Because God don't want. Welcome to You Can't Get to Heaven in a Miniskirt. My name is Jessica, and we don't have Sarah with us today. But instead, I had the opportunity to interview two great guests, Tim and Isaac from the Deconversion Podcast. The Deconversion Podcast is very similar to ours. It is a fellow deconstruction podcast. They are amazing. We have been on their podcast. I would very much recommend that you check them out. Today, we had a great conversation about biblical masculinity and what that means and what they have experienced within their times at the church when it comes to biblical masculinity and toxic masculinity. We also talk about toxic femininity a little bit as well, um, but hopefully we'll have more of an upcoming episode about that. But thank you guys so much for listening, and I really hope you enjoy this interview. So without further ado, please welcome Tim and Isaac from the Deconversion Podcast. So today I have Tim and Isaac from the Deconversion Podcast on. Thank you guys for coming on. And can you introduce yourselves and introduce the Deconversion Podcast and talk about your mission with the podcast? Who wants to go first? Tim's the face of the podcast. <laughs> So I'll let you Tim always say that that's what you that's what you wish had happened. We're now we're both faces of the podcast now. That's true. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. Nah, so my name's Tim Thomason and we uh, started the deconversion podcast about a year and a half ago. And it started just as a passion project between the two of us. Isaac said I was needing to vent because of the current state of affairs. But uh, we just thought it would be fun to start talking about this experience that people are more and more frequently going through, which is leaving religion and deconverting from a religious faith of some kind. And really, there's every variation under the sun you can imagine in regards to that. So we wanted to have a platform that was just very approachable, very down to earth. We didn't want to float too far into any realm of like, being outrage culture or just furious about things all the time. We wanted to be something that was very down to earth and easy to listen to, whether you were a believer or a non-believer, you're deconverting, not deconverting, just wanted it to be a place where people could come and learn about this subject and what people were going through in it. Yeah. Yeah. We really stressed creating a safe space for people to process it. We felt like there's extreme sides, obviously the extreme religious sides, and then also somewhat of an extreme atheist side, a lot of anger, a lot of sharp comments, a lot of harsh debate. There's definitely a place for that. And we all kind of love that depending on 
where we're at in our deconversion journey, but we wanted to create a, a soft landing or create a safe space for people to process what they're going through. And so I think a lot of times when it comes to religion, many people are one foot in, one foot out. And I think that often people stay in church, not because they genuinely are bought into or believe the theology of it, but rather it's where their community is. It's where their family has gone to church. They have a few business acquaintances that go there. And so we've been really focusing on this next phase of creating a community for people to kind of transition into and also to give people tools to navigate this because it can be very lonely. Tim really went through his deconversion and I was a friend of his while he was going through it. And he definitely mm -hmm. had the hard part of it. And and what was really fascinating was that Tim learned a lot of skills in that process of deconverting. And I'll kind of let Tim take this part, but I really pushed for us to have this podcast. I really pushed for us to create a free online course because I there was this really pivotal moment that Tim had with his nephew. And so Tim, I'll kind of let you. But before Tim talks, you didn't introduce yourself. So what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this other guy? Everybody knows me. <laughs> I'm Big Papa, AKA Big Love. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. My name's Isaac. <laughs> All right, Tim, take it away. Let's shut this guy up. <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. My, my name's Isaac Taylor. <laughs> no, Isaac and I have been friends for years. And what he was talking about, a, a big catalyst for our podcast was right before we got locked down with all the COVID and everything that went down in 2020, I got a call from my my nephew, Ryan, who is 21 at the time. And unbeknownst to me, he was deconverting and he did not know what to do with it and was having a really hard time. And I got presented with a situation where he was right at the cusp of going through a lot of the things I had already gone through. And he had the same deficiencies of knowledge that I had. He had the same worries and anxiety, and we commiserated over this stuff. But it really put me in a position where I had to rethink a lot of what would I like to have done differently during my deconversion? I tended to act out on social media. I was extremely angry. I was frustrated and I harmed some of my relationships by reacting that way. And some of that is normal and natural. And then there's a point where it can, it can be a double-edged sword. So I went through this whole experience with my nephew where I basically was trying to arm him and give him some tools and bring him up to speed faster than I got up to speed. I spent months reading books and studying and all this stuff. And so over the course of a lot of long-winded conversations with him, I tried to give him tools to make it an easier experience. And so a lot of what happened with that fueled what we ended up doing with the podcast. And then it certainly fueled the deconversion guide, which is our online course that's designed to help people who are going into this experience. I literally wrote that course as if I was writing a letter back to my younger self. So that's been the heart of our project and what got the wheels rolling. And then it's been a wild ride ever since. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So. I know the feeling. I know the feeling. Can I do some shameless plugging or what? Of course, quick? yeah. So we have the deconversion podcast, but we do have the deconversion guide and that'll be the deconversionguide.com. That site's not quite up yet, but if anyone would like early access, a little sneak peek for your audience, 
I can send you a link and so you guys can have early access. And that is a free online course that's designed to help people navigate it. And then we are in the middle of creating the deconversion therapist network. So Tim and I have ran into the situation where there are a lot of people who are seeking therapy and counseling. Mm -hmm. They are running into an issue where they're getting Christian counseling. And what's happening is that they're not necessarily getting the most direct and the best help. And we've just talked to so many people. And in this journey of talking to people and hearing people's stories, we've started seeing patterns. And one of the patterns that we've seen is that people who have deconverted that are thriving, what we've noticed is each one of those people, and I keep waiting for this to not be true, but as of right now, 100% of those people have praised the secular therapist. Secular therapist. Oh my God. Well, funny story. Ironically, when we went and bought the deconversion therapist network and deconversion therapist and then deconstruction, they were, they were owned by Christian sites and groups. And then there's some real tricky stuff that's really shady. So on psychology today, for you to look for the option of deconversion, the button is D slash reconversion, right? And so oh. that right there muddies the water. Yeah. And then a lot of times when you put in deconversion, you'll read profiles and it says, oh, I help people in the deconversion of their religious beliefs to help them come back to it. And one of the things we had talked to one of our listeners and they had reached out to a therapist specifically for deconversion. And then, you know, four or five sessions in, they find out that, that person is trying to help them find the Lord again. So That's we're creating really, yeah. Mm -hmm. So we've created the deconversion therapist network and that'll be deconversiontherapy.com. And basically it's a listing for sincere secular therapists or and even better than that, therapists who have deconverted or who understand the nuances. So mm -hmm. our little tagline is therapists who get it. Because <laughs> when you leave religion, it comes with a lot of things. So after you, if you're, if you've deconverted and you talk to someone who's never been in the church, they don't quite get it. And so we've reached out to therapists who get it. And we're in the process of creating that. So if anyone's a therapist or knows of a therapist, send them our way because we are looking for those therapists that can sincerely help people. And we also want to remove the barriers because one, it's hard to admit that you need therapy or kind of build up the courage to do it. Then when you're trying to search through a bunch of therapists, the whole process can be overwhelming. And then to say, okay, I'm going to therapy for religious trauma and you're sitting across from someone and you're pretty sure that they attend like the Southern Baptist church around the corner, that can be a challenge. And so our goal is to, to try to eliminate those barriers and make it as easy for people as we can. Can you guys talk about where you're from? Because oh. I'm Canadian. Sarah and I are Canadian. We have American listeners, but like the worlds that we live in are very different. Yes. We're in the same online world, but like our physical worlds are very different. So, well, for my part, I was born and raised in the hill country here in Texas. So I'm in a little town called Kerrville that's just outside of San Antonio. I was born here. I grew up in the deep South, though. I spent my formative years here, and then I moved over to the Gulf Coast to Mobile, Alabama. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I spent most of my teenage years there, and then I moved back to Texas in my early 20s, and I've been here ever since. So yeah, the Baptist tradition, the Pentecostal tradition, my parents were mainly non-denominational Christians. 
And yeah, so everything that you've heard, it's true. We live in a town where when you come off the main interstate to enter Kerrville, there is a giant cross called the empty cross, big metal monstrosity on the side of the highway. Google this. Yeah, Google it and have a look at it. And so they let you know who's in charge right when you pull in here. So I live in Kerrville as well. I grew up in Kerrville, went to high school in Kerrville. My family moved away and moved to Colorado when I was 16. And then I was a Pentecostal holy roller, went to Assemblies of God by myself. I was in that. I was plugged in, went to Master's Commission for a little bit. I was a total pain in the ass for the church, and I didn't last very long. And then I just lived my life. It was a non-thing. And then I moved from Colorado to Montana to Texas, back to Montana. So I'm pretty much split between Montana and Texas. And I have something interesting about Texas specifically. And I I wonder if Tim agrees with me, but you have two really different types of people. And something that's interesting about in Texas is it's almost more of a cultural experience than it is a theology experience. My father-in-law grew up in the Mormon church, and for him, the way Texas Christians are is baffling to what he grew up with. He's no longer a part of the church, but there's this good old boy culture, and it's Mm -hmm. you go out drinking Saturday night, you go to church hungover Sunday morning unless the Dallas Cowboys are playing. If the (laughs) Dallas Cowboys are playing, then you know church gets cut a little bit short, you smoke, you chew, you you have a good time, and there's a real laissez-faire. Mm -hmm. type of attitude when it comes to Christianity. So a lot of people will say, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, but they've never stepped foot in a church. To his point, I've just, uh, for the fourth here, which was just earlier this week, I took my nephew to Schlitterbahn, which is over here in New Braunfels, which is one of the coolest water parks in the world, I think. And I'm walking around there with him. I lost count at 24 (laughs) other guys that I saw with cross tattoos, oh my like God. just over their heart. I'm particularly interested because a huge percentage of those tattoos were also, instead of it just being a cross, it was a cross that was made out of nails. And that are supposedly the ones that you, you pierced Christ's hands or whatever. And then the second group of people are your really staunch, highly religious people. And the issue that we have is that those really extreme religious people, they push the agenda. They're the loudest voices. They're pushing policy. And then what happens is very lazy Christian, I believe in God culture just goes along with it. And so, yes, it's very conservative, but there's a lot more liberal people than you would think, especially in the cities. Austin is the blueberry in the tomato soup, right? San Antonio is very liberal. Dallas is conservative a little bit more. And Houston's very blue. Houston's very liberal. Oh, okay. And then, so conservative also means religious and then liberal in Texas or in the U.S. would probably mean not affiliated with religion. Yeah. Yeah. We we just did an episode on the lies of Christian nationalism. I don't know the statistics, but I would, if someone's walking around with a Trump hat, they go to church somewhere. So, you know, that's that's just kind of how it goes. It's really bad how much that has gotten into the culture here. I was walking through Lowe's the other day, and there was a guy wearing a T-shirt that said, if you don't like Trump, you won't like me. Jesus. So it's very in your face. I saw another one. There was a bumper sticker that I saw yesterday at our grocery store that had this thing that was like, donkey pox is the real 
pandemic in the United States, and it was referring to Democrats. I just yeah. like the we're not that much different in Canada, but it's just if you see a bumper sticker like that, they mm-hmm. exist, but it's like it's an event. You're like, what the fuck is uh, going on here? It's yeah. all the time down here. Yeah. You can't couldn't go a day without seeing stuff. Well, let me tell yeah. you, you guys are doing the fucking Lord's work. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we try really hard to not paint with too broad of a brush. And so a lot of this is generalities. You know, it's not true for every single individual. So it becomes hard to explain the culture. As far as a, a big picture snapshot, that's what we're looking at. The reason that I wanted to bring this up is because living in Canada and especially living where I live in Vancouver, where it is quite liberal, people have no idea that this, they don't actually think it's real. They think it's just like an SNL skit. Like, I'm like, no, Mm -hmm. no, no. Like this isn't just some rare person with the crazy bumper sticker. This is real. This is everywhere. These people are trying to change political policy that will affect Canada because it'll trickle up to Canada. Even like I was talking to somebody and we were talking about Christian nationalism. They didn't even know what it was. We need to educate people. So I find it really interesting. And and that's also one of the missions with our podcast is just to like educate people that this is real. You don't really have Mm -hmm. to do much about it. Just know it's real Yeah, and vote. It's, it's, it was interesting for us here a few weeks ago, we were in Denver for an event at Secular Hub and met some of the individuals that just worked there in Denver at that organization. We were telling them about what we're dealing with down here. And a lot of just those guys were like, what are you talking? Are you serious? And because you get sucked into what the norm is of what you live around. Yeah. And you think that's normal everywhere. It's not. Yeah, exactly. And that's just not how it typically rolls, but it's interesting. Yeah. 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 So that was a good intro into who you guys are and how did we all become connected? Isaac? Oh, I think that all started with Isaac. So, (laughs) well, in all fairness, (laughs) it started with Leah, Tim's wife. Yeah. My wife. Because Tim's wife had told us about your podcast and she was listening to it. And so we listened to your podcast and we were like, this is a lot of fun. And this was somewhat at the beginning of our podcast journey. So y'all were the first podcast that we had found that was similar to what we were doing. There there are a lot of other ones, but it was just the first one that, that we personally found. And I find that we just have a similar vibe. When I listened to you guys too, I was like, oh, Tim is Sarah and Isaac is me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, without a that doubt. That was it. To the part where it was creepy. So I listened to a couple episodes and I was laughing. I was like... I totally get Jess. I feel like Tim is just a version of Sarah. And so I reached out to y'all and and asked if you wanted to be on the podcast. And we got on a call and started talking to each other. And we just meshed really well. We had a lot of fun. So if Jess and Sarah were men from the South, it would be (laughs) Isaac and Tim. Listeners, if you like our vibe and you're like, I don't want to listen to women speak anymore. I want to listen to men speak. Then go listen to the T-conversion Yeah, we're we're a lot better at mansplaining. Go listen to some men tell you the exact same thing. (laughs) (laughs) Then it'll be valid. Yeah, exactly. We'll just send everyone over to you guys. For the listeners, this is, we're being sarcastic. Oh my God. I think that, I hope they know that. Jeez. Okay. So today's topic. So usually we have like a specific topic, just like you guys Mm -hmm. that we talk about each podcast. And since you guys are men and we don't usually talk to a lot of men and because we're two women, I wanted Mm -hmm. to talk about biblical masculinity, which I'm sure you have a lot to say about. So do you guys, is there anything you want to say before I say anything? 
I'm guessing you have some good stories, especially growing up in the South. This was probably a lot more prominent in your church going experiences when you would have been taught different things at youth group, you know, when they split us up and they tell girls that their virginity is sacred. And then the boys just like play dodgeball. Like, yeah, yeah. It's interesting stuff. I think if you don't mind me taking the lead on it, I have some feelings about you and we started it with this term, biblical masculinity. And I think that speaking from my perspective on it, we get into some semantics about this because the other term that gets thrown around right now is also toxic masculinity. And I think that this is one of those instances where we're using different words to describe something that we already don't like, which is authoritarianism. Because in a lot of respects, masculinity is not a negative thing. Guys being masculine is normal. It's part of us, our our evolution. So there's an element of this that's to our nature. And that's changed with time because culture changes, we change, all of that goes on. But I think when we're talking about what masculinity is shown in the Bible and what was done at that time, the parts of it that we really don't like is authoritarianism, which is do what we say, not as we do. Mm -hmm. So I think that women have definitely caught the brunt of that because men wanted them in their place and to be in charge so that we deal with double standards. And then, of course, when we look at where we are nowadays, the way I was raised was that I cannot say with a straight face that I feel like my dad raised me to be a bad guy. But the flaws in the way that he believed in masculinity and what a guy should be was not steering me in the direction that I would want to steer a young man. It comes with undue pressure on yourself. It comes with taking on responsibilities that shouldn't be solely yours. They should be shared responsibilities. And they also teaches you to like suppress your feelings and not understand how you really work. And so I think we can be better than that. And I don't think that the Bible has a roadmap to help us be better than that. I think that they just try and emulate it and it's full of problems. Yeah. So there are five basic principles of biblical masculinity Mm -hmm. that I've researched and you've named a few of them already, Sure. but each of them, when you hear them as a lay person, you're like, this doesn't sound that bad, but the Mm -hmm. problem is, is that it turns so fast. It is so easy for this to become an authoritarian marriage or like relationship that you're in. And as a woman, you can be tamped down pretty fucking fast with this shit. So we'll just go through them one by one. So the first one is above all else is humility before God. And it says the core of a man's life should be his relationship with God. So before everything else, God comes first. The thing is, when I went to church, it, it was very much the same thing. You know, there's the whole umbrella graphic where it's God's the umbrella, and then it's the husband, and then it's the wife, and then it's the children. And the issue with that is when it comes to the worst form of toxic masculinity, it's superiority. Men are superior to women, and it's a power play. At the end of the day, that's really what it is. And that looks different each generation. And we've progressed. There's still a long way to go as a society, but it wasn't that long ago that women weren't allowed to vote. And so I believe that when it comes to it's God first, and then it's the man, and then it's the wife, there's a system where it's the man is communicating with God, which basically is a free ticket to do whatever. So if I'm married, my wife's name is Francia, and I go to Francia, I say, Francie, 
God really put it on my heart. We're moving. Or, you know what? This is how this household's going to run because that's the way the Bible says that it needs to be ran. And what happens is it's a blank page. It's too vague. And I think it's it's a real manipulation power tool that basically just for the man to say, hey, I'm the one talking to God. This is what God says. How do you verify that? You can't. It's horseshit. Women fall in line. And if you don't, there's consequences. And I think that's probably the biggest issue with that. That was a perfect example of how quickly this turns because you read that first principle and you're like, okay, as a Christian, like your relationship with God is number one. And then a man makes decisions like what's wrong with that this is what's wrong with that right yes yeah that is a perfect example so the next principle i'll jump around because this has to do with what you just said isaac is leading his family is the fifth biblical masculinity trait which means this is where that authoritarian umbrella comes in so i first saw the actual physical like representation of the umbrella when i was watching shiny happy people Yep. We know all about the umbrella, which is like God's on the top and then it's man and it's woman and it's children. And you have to submit to the person above you. Mm-hmm. And I've had never seen the graphic before. And it was very jarring. Yeah, it is jarring. I've always looped around to this for some reason is that when it comes to religions and what they try to project onto your life, a lot of people approach their religion in a very passive way. And they're just like, oh, well, it's just, it just makes me feel better. And it does this. But what I always keep looping around to is I'm like, yeah, but you're making decisions in your life based off of it. It affects who you hang out with, who you date, your sexuality, all of these different things. It has a profound impact on your life and how you raise children. It just compounds. It goes into all of these different elements. And I've always come around to this, which is like, if you're going to make decisions that affect all of these things in your life shouldn't you be basing that on something with some more substance to it? Because you're believing this on faith and then making all of these life decisions based off of it. Mm -hmm. And that umbrella breakdown of like how to run the family. And I've really been caught up in that ever since shiny, happy people as well, because before I was even born, my parents were attending Bill Gothard stuff. You did talk about that on your podcast. You were in the womb. I was in the womb. My mom was pregnant with me. She and my father were in San Antonio going to one of Bill Gothard's courses and conferences. My siblings had to go to that ATI training in order to graduate at the Christian school they went to. No, it's for real. And, but again, and Isaac and I jested about this after watching this, if the Duggar family on shiny, happy people were like brand Cheerios, I was like oat nuts. I was like the off brand because, <laughs> because my parents still believed in birth control. They didn't do all this stuff, but I was also homeschooled. I used a competing program to what Bill Gothard stuff was, but that umbrella has stuck with me since the show. Cause I remember seeing that when I was a kid, I was shown that many times and I said this to my sister the other day because we were discussing the documentary and I was like, our parents based their entire model for raising us as children off of what this guy was propagating by his interpretation of the Bible. And that guy was never married, never had any children. I was like, how did our parents come to this conclusion to listen to a person like that? And the answer to that is religious faith. They believe because he believed the same things they did, he would be a good guide for them. And this Mm -hmm. is fucked up thinking and it gets you into real problem. So Tim, growing up, you were homeschooled. Were you Mm -hmm. also 
I guess the word indoctrinated is probably the best way to say it. Oh, of Were course. Were you indoctrinated to believe in that authoritarian umbrella? Of course. And you are married now. And mm-hmm. when you got married, you had already deconverted. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then so how did that affect your view on marriage? My view on relationships, I think, has changed pretty dramatically. But when I was dating, my wife was a believer, but she was also a very middle of the road, did not want to go to church, not a pew sitting Christian, affectionately, as we refer to as a hippie Christian. And we just connected on a level of friendship that formed the foundation of our marriage. And that foundation was based upon mutual trust, mutually common morals, and then open and clear communication with each other, even if it's uncomfortable. And that, for me, overrode everything else that was deprogramming out of my brain about authority. Have you ever been in a relationship where you started subscribing to those ideals or did you always ignore it? I was a little bit of a late bloomer due to the religious stuff as well. So, (laughs) you know, my first, my first serious relationships were in my early twenties. So yeah, I tried to do it a little bit, but I quickly realized after dating a couple people, like what I liked and what I didn't like. And so when I first started dating Leah and she looked at me and she said, if you're expecting me to be pregnant and barefoot in the kitchen, cooking you dinner, you're dating the wrong girl. I was like, oh, I like you. One of the things that I think is happening in our society is that we're recognizing that there's a problem. And I always kind of refer to a pendulum. We've had so many issues with toxic masculinity, women not getting paid equally, men being in positions of power, abusing that power. And we drop the pendulum and it goes to this other extreme. Mm -hmm. And I think what can happen in that is that we can lose definitions or we can not take the time to articulate things. It's almost like an angry response. Mm -hmm. And one of the challenges is defining what is masculinity? What is femininity? What are the strengths of and weaknesses of both masculine and feminine energy and mindsets and attitudes? And so one of the things that, that I think happens with churches, church hijacks things. There are roles within a marriage, especially if there's a family unit to survive there. When we're going through puberty, we're experiencing hormones. And so what happens is the church says, here's some natural biology that's happening. Let's hijack it. You know, let's hijack the family unit and say, this is how it runs. Let's hijack uh, hormones and then progress it. Because one of the things when we talked about this, just talking about this power dynamic is there's a lot of men, Tim and I are one of them. There's no power hungry thing. There's no, I'm, I'm powerful over Francie and it's not there. I remember going to church and kind of being told that we're like sexual beasts and that if we don't keep ourselves in check, all we're going to do is rape the women. And if the women don't control themselves and cover themselves, we're going to rape them. And it's like, Hey, I have no desire to do this. And so, right. but then going back to what you said, and it's reaffirming what you said at first, this doesn't sound bad that men is the lead of the family or household. No, I, as a man, have a role in my family unit and Francie has a role in our family unit. Sure, maybe they can fall into some social norms of masculine and feminine energy. But I can tell you right now, if if Francie and I are over at Tim and Leah's house and someone breaks in the door with a gun, Tim and I will die before anything happens (laughs) to our lives. Like, we will kill somebody. And so, so there's kind of this aspect of that masculine 
energy. And I don't know quite how to define it. And it's something I really want to dig into. But I think what happens is the church hijacks that and manipulates it. Yeah. When you actually look at my husband and I, who don't subscribe to anything, we actually do fall into these gendered roles because that is how our personalities are. And like, you're right. The church hijacks that and makes it way more intense than it really needs to be. When I was growing up in the church, I was told things about wives and femininity that I was like, I will never. But when I actually think about my life, it is like that. But it's all my choice. Like that is the difference is that I know Mm -hmm. it's my choice because I could change that if I wanted to. Well, yeah. And then there's also the dynamic of that was not your only option. There are people who, and I think it's worth throwing out there. There are some women out there. We were talking about natural roles. There are some women, they would love to do that. They want to raise their kids. They want to take care of a husband. They want to do that. And they have every right to go do that thing. And they shouldn't be demeaned if that's what they really want. Mm -hmm. The problem arises is when girls like my sister's, And I really feel for them some of the time is that they grew up in a church where they were told that there was nothing beyond that for them. My my older sister could have been a fantastic English teacher or writer and gone and done other things that they never even entertained the dream of doing something beyond being barefoot in the kitchen and cooking their husband dinner. That's really sad because my parents aren't Christian. I was raised like you're going to go to university and you're going to be an independent woman. You're never going to rely on a man for anything. But the church was telling me something different. But I'm so lucky mm-hmm. as a person that I had options. And yeah. it's just, it's really sad that it, at one point before Roe v. Wade was overturned, it was almost like, oh, Christian nationalism is just like, a, man, they're just over there doing crazy shit. But it's real and it's happening right now. And yep. when you watch Shiny Happy People, for example, And I only say that because it was the most recent Christian documentary that I've seen, but they talk about how they're raising these men to go into politics and Mm -hmm. to infiltrate politics. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the shark at Jaws. You're going to ignore it until it swims up and bites you. Because I remember my wife had a really hard time when Roe v. Wade got overturned. And I was like, I've been watching that coming for years. I've been watching that coming down the pipe. I will just say. Well, how about, so we lost Isaac for a second. So I'll talk to you, Tim, about the second principle of biblical masculinity, which is self-control of his passions. So I got this definition from a Christian website and it says, single or married, a real man tames his passions. He doesn't abuse women or children. He protects them. Like, of course. Like he keeps his hands off a woman who is not his wife and treats his life with love, respect, and dignity. He keeps his eye off of pornographic images. He protects a single woman's virginity and innocence. He's a man with a heart, head, and conscience. On the surface level, like everything else, you're like, okay, like don't abuse children. You should be nice to people. But there is the flip side to this, which is you're telling men that it's their responsibility to save a woman's virginity. Well, there's layers of this. Okay. And it has a lot of different effects and it had different effects on me, but at first glance, you listen to those and there, that's a lot of things to keep track of. Okay. For, especially for a young man in adolescence or puberty, who's just like experiencing some of those emotions for the first time. I, to this day can be accused of being a cold hearted bastard because I keep my emotions in check so lethally. And I feel that's probably left over from my religious stuff a little bit. And then secondly, because I did it to myself, but my wife jokes at me because of what I have is I have a two week delay. 
That's what happens. Something yeah. crazy happens and then I'm perfectly fine. I handle it. It's great. Everything's good. I lock in place. And then two weeks later, I'll lose my shit. I'll, and Leo will be like, why are you angry about? And I'm, I'm like, I don't know. It comes out like you can bottle it up all you want, but it's going to come out in some way. Exactly. But when it comes to like sexuality, that's the main one I like to talk about because people don't like to admit it. And this is something I think that happens in deconversion is you start realizing that we're animals. We're not some divine being with inspiration and all this stuff. We're just freaking animals mm -hmm. and we're running on instinct and chemicals and sexuality is a powerful monster that's rolling. So when it comes to male sexuality and that kind of stuff, I talk about this with my uncle all the time because he worked in probation in Austin for years and he is a firm believer that a lot of the root of sexual deviancy and sexual misconduct is rooted in sexual repression because you take a man's sexuality and you try and cage it, put it in a box and it will try to eat its way out one way or the other. And it's usually, if you're lucky, it's in a not unhealthy way. Hopefully it's good. You'll have like a feet fetish or something. Yeah. You look at someone like, will armchair diagnose Josh Duggar, for example, oh, yeah. and say this probably, I don't know. I have no idea his life. I don't know. But if I want to make assumptions, this definitely is a contributing factor. When Josh Duggar popped up, I had a real moment when we were watching that documentary and Isaac will remember it because we just got him back. Uh, yeah. It, it, Hi, Isaac. We were watching the documentary and they show that picture of Josh Duggar and he's just a little kid, just a little guy. And I looked at Isaac and I said, that little guy is a blank slate. That little kid is not some child abuser right now. He were so much of a, a product of our environment a lot of the times. And I'm not saying that's the only contributing factor, but it's a big one. And I felt sorry for him because that's a kid who was really sexually repressed. And I don't know how it got so dark and how it went all into those roads, but that guy got fucked up, yeah. <laughs> you know, and if he had been taught not to bottle things up, if he got taught, hey, this is healthy, this is not healthy, this is how you treat people, this is not, and there wasn't any of this other garbly goop added onto it, the religion, the faith, the strictness, the punishments, then your sexuality could maybe bloom and blossom. But for religious people, that is a dangerous thing. They've got to have a strong control over it. Because otherwise you could have something in your life that can motivate you more than your religious faith. It's a church hijacking sexuality. I mean, that's what it does is it manipulates our human experience by two to 5%. And that's why these things get so confusing. It's like, how can the church come in? We're all smart people. How did all of us practice this? Well, because 98% of it is the human experience, but they've manipulated two to 5% of it for power and control. And so that's like the hijack system. Like when you're in a cult, you don't know you're in a cult. Yeah. yeah. So Jess, I'm sorry, because this will probably be an editing nightmare for you. And I left, but it was really okay. important for me to say one thing in the, when we were talking about roles, Francie, my wife is nine years younger than me. And she helps me in all our entrepreneurial projects. She's our editor. So she does all the podcast editing. And when she was talking to her friends, and she's 27 now, and she said, I want to assist Isaac in, in editing and helping him with that. And then I want to have kids and stay at home and be a full-time mom. And they really shit on her for that. You know, that was a real <laughs> negative thing. 
And Francie was pretty upset about it. And she said, do I need to be more career driven? Am I making a mistake? Am I being naive? And the thing that I told Francie was what we have to ask ourselves is two questions. One, are we equals? And the second one is, do we respect each other? When it comes to trying to define masculinity and femininity, and because there's men with feminine energy and women with masculine energy. But the question for me, is there equality? Is there equal opportunities for both genders or all genders? And then the second question is, is there mutual respect? And when it comes to toxic masculinity, especially in the church, the answer is no. There's not equality and there's not respect. And it's a power play. A hundred percent. And I think about Francie now, like saying that she wants to have kids and stay home. I have been staying at home. My daughter is a year and a half and I've stayed at home since she was born. And it's tough because you watch all your friends get promotions and get to go on business trips. And I'm at home and you sometimes feel a little inadequate, but the difference between what Francie and I have and what maybe other religious stay-at-home moms have is the choice. So I do feel bad for Francie that she went through that and she shouldn't ever have to go through that because that's bullshit. It's Mm -hmm. the cultural, it's the cultural pendulum swing. I think you guys are also highlighting what is also one of the greatest benefits that you get when you deconvert and you let the religious stuff go. Mm -hmm. And that is adaptability. And I think one thing that is something also that's like really common that you see a lot of times with women that have their first kid in Christian marriages is postpartum depression because they're told that this is what's going to make them happy. And then when they're not instantly over the hills thrilled, when they're having to get up four times a night, no sleep, blah, 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 all this other stuff, then they start getting like depressed. That's where so many problems are created because people don't feel like they have the ability to adapt or change. And then they end up trapped. That's also one of the reasons I love the title of that documentary, The Shiny Happy People, yes, because it implies what I see all the time, which are people who, when I look at them and I apply my critical thought and my knowledge of human psychology, they don't look like people that are really that happy. It's a fucking mask. But they have to portray it. They constantly do it. I've watched my older sister do it. I've watched my family members do it. And I've never been that person. And when you leave the religion behind, I become even less that. And then more so, I become this person that's like, why are you doing that to yourself? Don't do that to yourself. Do something different. Change it. Don't sit in your misery and think that's your lot and you have to be happy about it. I know people that aren't even religious that do this. And if you have a family that's like, no, you you have to stick with the status quo. It's so harrowing to even think, like to even fathom changing anything is just so difficult that you can't even take the first step. You can't even fathom doing that because the end result is just, it's too unimaginable. Yeah. And that's the box that you get put in, in religion. Um, so, well, I'll, I'll do number, so number three and four of the five basic principles of masculinity, according to lifeway.com. So we know mm. that it's super legit mm. is protecting the family and providing for the family. So mm. protecting the family obviously is like physically protecting them, but also like passing on wisdom to your sons and probably not daughters, probably just sons. And then providing for the family, there is a Bible verse, 1 Timothy 5, 8. It says, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Oh, wow. Somebody worse than me? Finally. (laughs) Jesus. Mm -hmm. That puts a lot of pressure on young men. And so 
Sarah and I have talked about this, how like men really benefit from patriarchy, obviously, but you look at it too in a different way and how much pressure is put on young men Mm -hmm. at a young age and how, how difficult that must be. And wondering like being raised in that way and also being raised, Isaac, you were saying in the way that it's like men have sexual urges and they're animals. And then also being told that you need to make all the money and provide for an entire family. That's your duty. That Mm -hmm. must've put a lot of undue pressure on you guys as kids. It's a, it's another classic example of a 2% variant church hijacking something. The reality is that our society and human beings are able to live, feed ourselves, take care of ourselves in regards to shelter, health, water, because of cooperation. And that cooperation is in different financial structures, capitalism being the biggest one. And the reality is that for you to pay your bills and to be a part of this cooperation system and to have access to the resources, you do need to work. You do need to make a living. So there's a lot of truth to that, but it's a team effort. It's a family unit. As a family unit or as a couple, how are we going to do this game called life? How are we going to put this roof over our head? And Mm -hmm. so- Again, you should protect your family. Yeah, that's not a bad thing. I guess I'm pretty unapologetic about this. If my wife and kids are in the house and someone breaks in, I'm going to do everything I can to protect them to to the detriment of my own life. And I'm going to have pride in that. The problem is what happens is when it's manipulated. So, hey, you need to provide for your family, which means your wife doesn't have access to any of the finances. You watch every penny she spends. And so it's another one of those tough ones where it seems innocuous until it's not. Tim and I, we've been ranting and raving about this is what is the root of the problem? What is the root of the problem? And it's religion. And when we were watching Shiny Happy People, it was, what's the issue? And they were like, the Duggard family, or the issue was this, the main preacher. No, the issue's religion. Let's get to the root cause of the problems. It's religion, but it's also power yeah people using religion to get power and actually this is a very good segue because the next thing that i wanted to talk about was pastor mark driscoll who oh god is (laughs) i know i'm so sorry isaac you're about to be really fucking mad so we're not going to talk about him for too long because we could do an entire podcast series about him because he is insane and he is the type of person in my opinion like he knows what he's fucking doing and he's a grifter And he, it's very possible that he believes every fucking thing he's saying, but I think that he also is tapping into exactly what he knows that people will be outraged by and then using that to get views and to get book sales. And so Mark Driscoll and Isaac, you don't know who this is. This is correct. That's correct. I have no idea who this is. So, so I'm really sorry. I'm going to sit here. I'm a Hulk out. Because that's I, that's what I feel is about to happen. I cannot um, believe you don't know who this is, but I'm so happy that I'm going to be the one to introduce you. I am familiar with him. Yeah, Tim's the subject matter expert. Out of our dynamic duo, Tim's the subject matter expert. Yeah, I get on the emotional roller coaster <laughs> on um, side projects, but uh, but no, I I do not know who this is. So Mark Driscoll is a gentleman in the States. He founded Mars Hill Church in 1996 in Seattle. And it started as a small group, but it grew to like a mega church with like a massive campus, which now it was disbanded in 2014. So now all of these buildings are like empty, apparently in Seattle. Gay nightclubs. 
Yeah, I hope so. Tim and I's goal is we know people are deconverting at a very high rate. And uh, as churches can't make their bank statements, we're going to buy them and turn them into gay nightclubs. There's going to be a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So with Mars Hill, like I said, it was disbanded in 2014 due to like a lot of reasons, but a lot of them were to do with Mark Driscoll. And Mm -hmm. there's accusations of plagiarism and mismanagement of funds from other people. But the board of directors had to oust Mark Driscoll because he's a piece of shit. He also gamed the New York Times bestseller list for one of his books, which is like the funniest thing. Like he just like gave New York Times a bunch of money and they like made his book a bestseller. They um, inflated they inflated his sales. I think he had like a couple companies that did it for him or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So I saw that recently and I was like, of course he did. And so he now has a new church in Arizona, also probably a mega church. And he's still, he's on his grift. He's still going. He's never stopped. And so so I have three clips for you to watch to get a very good idea of who this gentleman is. So the first one, I'm just going to show you. Okay. Okay. Demons know each other. And if they're working through people, the demons who are friends introduce the people to become friends. And in the days of technology and the internet, evil people find each other and they form soul ties and they bond together to do evil and to oppose good. We call this cancel culture. We call this progressivism. We call this the woke mob. That's exactly what it is. It's like, well, how is it so powerful? It's demonic. How is it so organized? It's demonic. How is it so quickly overtaking every area of culture? It's demonic. Well, why does no one see it? Because they call it justice and that's the deception. So how does that make you feel? And that's one of the more tame ones that I found, but it made me laugh because people Mm -hmm. talking about demons always makes me laugh because it's so dumb. And if they don't like it, it's demonic, right? Like that's the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. That's your first introduction to Mark Driscoll, Isaac. What do you think? Well, fucking piece of shit. (laughs) It's going to get worse. So, So this falls into a classic thing. You know, you have someone in ministry... And then they get caught for most of the time sexual abuse or some type of of heinous crime. And then the church kind of rallies and says, this person was doing so much work for God that the devil was attacking them. (sighs) And if you don't want the devil to attack you, live a life of sin because the devil's just going to leave you alone. And it's Uh such a cop out. If God is omniscient and powerful and all loving, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, I can move mountains. It's such a cop out. It's ridiculous. And so that's just a classic one of those. Hey, why is this thing so much better than religion? Well, because it's Satan. Is God not better than Satan? Can God not handle Satan? It's just, it's a different flavor of shit. Someday we'll have to talk about people thinking everything Satan. But for now, I have another clip for you. And it's him talking about Tucker Carlson. And so this is a clip from the new evangelical YouTube. Yes. And he's commenting on it. But I just want to show you the Mark Driscoll part. And then I'll put the link for the full video in the show notes and people can watch it. Begin tonight with the sudden departure of Tucker Carlson from Fox News. The company today announcing they have agreed to part ways. They canceled Tucker Carlson. And as far as we know, I don't think he did anything wrong. I mean, it's it's not like his name is Hunter. The way this works itself out is eventually, if you're a leader, you need to know this. Everybody gets canceled. Even Jesus got canceled. They opposed him with a negative narrative. They arrested him. They brought false witnesses and they crucified him. The point is this, cancel culture is coming for every leader. You're gonna get deplatformed. You're gonna get criticized. You're gonna get fired. It's gonna happen. And let me tell you this, if you're a Bible teacher, it's probably gonna happen more than once. And if you are a pastor who has not been canceled, you've probably not been faithful to the word of God. It's almost in the day now where if somebody hasn't been canceled, you wonder if they've done their job. 
Congratulations, Tucker. You've done your job. Well, that's, <laughs> that, that feeds the persecution complex, doesn't it? This is the thing is that it so often pulls us away from even talking about the ideas or the specifics of what we're getting into. It's generalizations. If you got canceled, then you're doing something right. Well, this goes to Isaac and I don't paint with a broad brush. He just said that in general. Well, does that mean we don't cancel Nazi culture? I mean, it's like they did nothing wrong. They got canceled. So they were doing something right, apparently. But it feeds persecution complex. It's taking complex things and reducing them down to a level of simplicity that's easy for people to digest that don't want to do any hard work about it. That's his grift, right? So Mark Driscoll, yeah. that's his whole thing. People follow him and pastors like him because he takes complex situations and boils it down to a little tiny talking point yeah. that's easy to argue with people and just say, well, cancel culture. And if you're doing something right, then you're going to get canceled. They don't care about the nuance. I'm waiting for the misogyny one. Where's the misogyny? I want to see him talk about penis homes. So, Are we not doing that today? Are we going to stick on? We others? can. We can look for one. We'll look for one. But I only have one more because I just I can only take so much of Mark Driscoll, but I just couldn't find one. Of course. But this one is a classic. This is an old one. So the last two were newer at his new church. And this is him at Mars Hill. Okay, got it. And this is a famous clip. It's long, but we'll probably just watch like the first minute and a half or so. And it just I need you to get the full picture. Okay. It just it's so frustrating. Some of you guys have been coming here for years. You still got your hands all over your girlfriend. Some of you guys have been coming here for years. You're still not praying with your wife. Some of you guys have been coming here for years. You're still single and having sex. Some of you guys will even, even as I'm preaching the sermon, some of you will be sitting next to your girlfriend or your fiance or your wife. Some of you guys have already given her that look. Don't cry. Don't let them know they're talking about me. Just hold it together. You've already intimidated her right ear. Some of you guys have already whispered it in her ear. I don't want to hear it. We're not talking about this in the car on the way home. Some of you have already whispered in her ear, I'm sorry, I'll do better. Trust me. Let's just move on real quickly. How dare you? Who in the hell do you think you are? Abusing a woman, neglecting a woman, being a coward, a fool, being like your father, Adam. Who do you think you are? You are not God. You are just a man. You're not an impressive man. You're not a responsible man. You're not a noble man. You're not a respectable man. You're not a responsible man in any regard. I don't care how successful you are in this area. If you are a failure, it clouds all of your dignity. It robs all of your masculinity. There is no excuse for any man who claims the name of Christ to treat a woman in a dishonorable, disrespectful way. So we'll stop because it's just, it goes on. And I just also want to say that there is a, a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. And I, they talk about this clip and they said he did that at five services that day. 
the same same way yeah i was about to say i wrote the things i wrote down when i saw that was one there's a repetition to the way that he was saying things so it's easy to remember and then it's fear-mongering it was degrading and it's very ironic considering the other things that he puts on women so so mark dressel's the kind of guy who preaches respect to women but it's not actually no it's complete opposite which is really scary and there are clips of him talking about like women, you should have sex with your husband whenever he asks for it, because if you don't, then yeah. he will cheat on you. So that's like his whole vibe. So Isaac, yeah, what do you feel? Is it what you expected? Have you seen this before? Well, the, I'm really starting to question our friendship. Is uh, we'll, we'll start there. I just, thought, <laughs> I, I just, I thought you cared about me. I thought you liked me. <laughs> I do. That's why I have to show you these crazy I thought, people. I thought we had good rapport. I thought you wanted me to smile and you did that to me three times, three times. You did it to me. One wasn't enough. No, <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, he's a total piece of shit. One of the things is that there's this classic manipulation tactic in church. You're nothing without Jesus. You're absolute crap. You have no self-value. Your cloth of righteousness was filthy the moment you were born. And the only way to get right is through God. And it's just ridiculous. And and again, it goes back to that thing where if you were to read the transcript of what he was saying, yeah, you we should respect women. Yeah, we, we should be accountable for our sexual relationships. But Again, it's giving these simple bullshit answers to really complex problems. And that's the issue with religion. That's the issue with this guy. He's obviously a charlatan. And it it frustrates me because he said, this will take away your masculinity. And again, it's like, well, what does that guy define as masculine? What is healthy masculine? You know what I mean? The reason that I brought him up is because he is, in my opinion, the epitome of toxic biblical masculinity, Yeah, Mm -hmm. where he subscribes to the complementarian view that men is head of the household and the woman submits to her husband and in kind of the worst way. And the other thing is going to the cancel part is he's already playing the victim card. If anyone argues with me, it's the devil. If anybody, Tim and I really talked about this in one mm-hmm. of our podcasts. What was the guy's name? Jack Hibbs. Jack Hibbs. He's a, he's a pastor. My parents were driving all the way across the country to go listen to. Oh, is he like um an end times guy? Yeah. Yes. He's a classic example of that. If anybody comes against me, it's because Satan's attacking. So you don't even get the opportunity to have a critical thought conversation. But something that's really interesting, and I think it's worth saying about masculinity, and uh, it's a little bit of a tangent. I don't don't know if you've seen it, but there's a documentary about the Wrexham soccer team. I love Welcome to Wrexham. Yeah. They talked about the difficulty men were having with sports not being present. And one of the things that they were saying is that many, a lot of men really They didn't necessarily miss the game of soccer or miss getting to watch it, but they miss talking about it. And so there's this really interesting thing where if two women traditionally are close friends, like you and Sarah are really close friends, you guys get along really, really well, and people will say, y'all are friends. Well, Tim and I are really close friends, but it's a bromance. Okay. We can't just have feelings. It's a bromance. (laughs) You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It has to be manly feelings. Right. And then there's also this other thing where if two women see each other and they traditionally give people hugs where men kind of do this, like, 
okay, do we shake hands? Are we doing like the shake hand and pat on the shoulder? Do we the shake hand, bring it in? Or do we just really get in there and just hug heart <laughs> to heart? I think a, a, an unhealthy part of guys like him and the football and the steak and all that shit is it creates this thing where there's not this safe space for men to be emotionally intelligent. There's no safe space in Mark Driscoll's life. Yeah. He doesn't understand that word. Yeah, exactly. There's not room to share our feelings. The other day I was like, Tim and I got off and I went, all right, I, I love you, man. You know, and it's like, well, that was the older generation. That was gay. And it's like, no, no. I, I genuinely love Tim. You yeah. know what I mean? Like he's one of my best friends. He's the brother from another mother. And it shouldn't be embarrassing. We shouldn't have nope. to be like, oh, it's a bromance. We shouldn't have to try to downplay intimacy between mm-hmm. men's relationships. Well, this is an interesting yeah. kind of thing is that Sarah visited me at my parents' cottage. I was just out on the East Coast and she mm-hmm. came for the night and we had like a sleepover. Like my husband was in like a completely separate room. And then I thought about like, oh, we used to have sleepovers all the time as kids. But like boys used to have sleepovers, but they couldn't call them sleepovers. It was like Halo night. Halo (laughs) night. Yeah, that's actually perfect. You can't just have a fucking sleepover. It has to be like. I'd like to elaborate on this just for a second, because there's another element that I think we could loop this back in with Mark Driscoll is that one of the things when I see people like him, men that embrace that type of. We call it toxic masculinity now. I think of it as like a really horrendous form of authoritarianism and men drive their authority from it. But one thing I've really struggled with, and I've struggled with this ever since Donald Trump, is that why do these guys have an appeal? Why do these guys get a following? And there's some stuff about like my own masculinity that I've had to come to terms with. I mainly grew up around my sisters. And so I had a lot of my more like aggressive and competitive parts of my nature. A lot of guys tend to have those. We can be a very aggressive, we can be very competitive and we live in a society and a culture that if you think about our biology and our evolution, it's changed pretty dramatically just in the last 150, 200 years for guys, mm-hmm. some traits that could be really highly valued 150 years ago are not nearly as highly valued now in today's culture. And in fact, they would be straight up bad in our culture. We wouldn't want them present, but they would have been celebrated 150 years ago. And now that is not acceptable. Our Mm -hmm. morals have changed. I think that a lot of guys, and I'm talking about men in a traditional gender role, I get that there's everything in between, but traditional guys... I think a lot of that aggression and that competitiveness, but just by the nature of our society, gets really pressed down. And I think that it's important for some guys, if they really do have that present, having a good outlet for it is very important. For me, that's always been martial arts. And I've trained guys and I deal with that. And a great part of my experience doing martial arts was what I learned about real masculinity the positive kind, the kind that you want general, well-rounded men to have, it's typically pretty quiet. I'm always weary of the quiet guys, not the loud, boisterous ones. Those guys aren't the ones you got to worry about. There aren't a lot of great outlets for guys. It's one of the reasons I advocate for martial arts for a lot of guys. But in lies the appeal and the problem with what religion takes and does with masculinity is that it reworks it 
it gives you a divine right to it. And then some of the loudmouths that we're dealing with down here are, have basically stepped up and given license to men who really don't know how to act healthily on their masculinity. And it's given them an outlet to be assholes. And they know that there are a lot of disillusioned people. We'll just say in particularly in the United States, a lot of disillusioned sure. young men. Look at someone like Andrew Tate. Like mm -hmm. he has a following because there are so many young men that don't have an outlet. So what you just said is really insightful in my opinion, because you're always wondering like, what, what is so appealing about these men? Mm -hmm. And it's probably because they're giving young men permission to be pieces of shit. Well, I would argue it like this. I would argue that it takes weak men and shows them a way to feel strong without uh -huh. any real projection of strength. There's also an element of trying, of being understood. If you're, and again, just we're talking traditional roles, but if you're a young man, you do have this aggressive competitive nature. It yeah. feels good to be competitive. It feels good to be aggressive. The cliche that two boys who get into a fist fight with each other end up becoming best friends. That's a hundred percent true. And this goes back to the pendulum swing. There's not a healthy example. There's not a healthy role model. And not only that, but now those feelings are shameful. I'm angry. And then there's this feeling of shame. I'm aggressive. Mm. There's this feeling of shame. I'm horny. And all I can think about is sex. And I've thought about sex 200 times again today. And there's shame. And so what's happening is that there's these charlatans that come up and say, you don't have to feel this shame. This is natural. And so for the first time, for a lot of young men, they're not feeling like they're a piece of shit. They're like, oh, okay, my aggression and competitive is natural. This person says it's okay. And then they're following a really bad and false role model. I think yeah. just an elaboration is just that because we were talking about how religion hijacks this stuff. There's a great book I recommend to you, Jess, that's called The Most Dangerous Animal. Okay. And it's all about humanity. And the things that we've done and what we've done in the past, all that stuff. But I was just thinking about it was like what I said about the biology thing, I think is just so freaking true. And that biology just doesn't go away. If you go back a couple, 200, 300 years, we were out fighting, killing, hunting, and that's what we did. Yeah. And we were extremely violent. There were less cultural restrictions on our violence. Our violence just came out and was harnessed and used in certain ways for survival. Now, those instincts and that stuff just doesn't go away overnight, but we have a culture that runs in counterpoint to it. So having healthy outlets, in fact, I would dare say the most healthy outlet is recognizing that it's there in the first place to certain degrees. That's the first step. Let's recognize that it's there. What do we do with it? But the problem and the thing with religion since the beginning of time is religion knows that's there. So they've put things in place to hijack it. Shame is a critical part of that. Your sexuality isn't embraced. It's something to be caged, boxed, and then harnessed to motivate you in the way the religion would like you to go. They put all the locks and padlocks on all this stuff. You could say that in some instances that was done in order to harness us and move us away from all the violence and stuff. But there were unforeseeable consequences of putting chains on all those different things. Mm -hmm. And nowadays, people like Driscoll, people like Trump, they're like loosening some of those locks and saying, no, you're just, you know, let's just roll with this. And since 
so many guys are living with their sexuality boxed up with their aggression boxed up all this all of a sudden someone telling you you know what you can go home and rage and bitch about bud light embracing gay pride and you can rage and act like a total jackass online about it or whatever and that that's part of just being a man and it's so it it's toxic I have a friend that doesn't get the toxic masculinity term. He's like, masculinity can't be toxic. Masculinity is a good thing. And I'm like, this is a new term. Masculinity by itself isn't a negative thing. But the thing is, is that there are forces in our culture and especially within religion, they're working very hard to turn it into something that has to be toxic. Yeah, that was the most well said I think that I better well said than I could ever have said it. And that's why I had you guys on because Cheers. men, you guys have more experience with this. I haven't thought about it as much as you guys have, because mm-hmm. I think about the girl stuff all the time. Sure. And how feminism basically is like my whole life right now. A side note on the feminist thing. Yeah. Men can be feminist too. Yeah, so we are. Tim and I are big time feminists and that's, that's something to recognize. Everything that you said in this podcast shows me that you guys are feminists because what feminism is, is part of it is just treating your partner as an equal, treating women as equals. Mm -hmm. And so don't worry. I think our listeners know that you're a feminist, but if you were doubting it, if you were doubting it to your listener. I think sometimes men don't think that they can be feminists because like you have to be a woman to be feminist and that's not true. And I think it's worth mentioning. Can I ask you a question, Jess? No. Yes. What's up? (laughs) Okay. We have masculinity and femininity, and we're talking about toxic masculinity. Do you think there's a version of toxic femininity? Absolutely. There are so many versions of toxic femininity. I think that there's secular versions and there's religious versions. And I think a lot of the versions have to do with shame and shaming women if they are any different For example, just in the non-religious world, if a woman is outspoken, she's considered a bitch. And if a man is outspoken, he's considered a boss. So that is just a form of, well, it's toxic gendered roles. Like I Mm -hmm. am a certain kind of woman. I am outspoken and loud. And if I was a man, I would have been treated a lot differently in the workplace than I was treated. And I don't think anyone ever consciously treated me different because I was a woman it was just the way that society runs and the way that I talked in meetings would be looked down upon for many reasons I'm sure like I'm sure that I was to blame for a lot of things but I worked in a lot of toxic work environments that perpetuated that and I worked in a man's industry and I was treated like an object a lot of the times especially when I was young so I started working in that industry when I was 22 and I was sexually harassed a lot, like a Mm. lot. And especially at client events and client functions, I was groped and a lot of it was verbal and some of it was physical and it was really disgusting. And as I got into my later twenties and early thirties, it became less so, but like people were still like, oh, there was a young, cute girl talking to me or whatever. And they liked it, but they didn't sexually harass me, which was nice. Mm-hmm. It got better over the years. And I think also just like me being around better clients helped, but it was awful. And I think the women were no help because that they were like, that's just the way it is. So that's a kind of a form that I've come across in the religious world. Oh my God. Like think about 
biblical femininity, which could be a, if you guys want to have us on your podcast to talk about biblical femininity, we could, because it is a completely different subject. No, we're having you on to talk about cults. We've got this established already. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I would rather talk about cults and biblical femininity because I get very angry. Yeah. Well, we had, we asked you and Sarah to be on the podcast because we are humbled by the fact that there are things that we're just not going to understand because we are not women. And that's kind of the same reason that I'm having you on too. Yeah. Yeah. And so we want to respect that factor, but you're also more than a woman. So it's not like, Hey, Sarah, Jess, can you be on the podcast to give the woman's perspective? No. Like, how about you just be on the podcast to talk about cults? So and that's, so, and that's feminism right there. Yeah. It's not, <laughs> You don't have to talk about girls to make it on the podcast. Let's you you have you're more than a woman. Oh, you know, you're thank you're an you. intelligent creature. Oh, God. God, that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to yes. me. Uh, so we can go on and on about toxic femininity. That's just one example. But I really want to do a story time with Sarah with Jessica because okay. every podcast we well a lot of our podcast episodes we do a story time with Sarah and Sarah does a story from the Bible. So I'm, Sarah's not I'm with gonna, us. Sarah's not with us. So you're going to have a replacement person. Oh, okay. Welcome to Storytime with Sarah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy a story from our favorite book, the Bible. So today's story time with Sarah with Jessica is <laughs> Genesis 39. And the story is Joseph and Potiphar's wife. Have you heard this one? Isn't Poffer's wife the one that was like warrior or some kind and she made sexual advances at him? Okay, so spoiler alert. I'm sorry, I'm just trying to remember my Bible. You are correct. So Joseph was a slave and he was bought by an officer mm-hmm. of the Pharaoh in Egypt. And he was like a very good slave, apparently, and, and had a lot of responsibility. So this is the English standard version of the Bible. So I'm just going to read a little bit and then paraphrase it a little too. So Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on him and said, Joseph, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he's put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you because you are his wife. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he wouldn't listen to her and lie beside her and be with her. But one day she caught him in his garment and said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled out of the house. She called the men of the household and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to lie with me and I cried out with a loud voice and he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. So she told the master the same story and that basically he had made sexual advances towards her and she cried out except she's lying. So the master was really angry and he put Joseph in prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. So that's Mm. the story. And that's a story that is used by pastors, like Mark Driscoll to tamp down sexual harassment accusations that women make because basically Potiphar's wife was crying wolf. So all women cry wolf when they're yes. being sexually assaulted. So 
That is why I brought that story up. It's also fascinating to me because there's a couple instances in the Bible regarding women who are more sex forward. Instead of being submissive to their husband, they're more like, I want to have sex. And they're all demonized in one way or the other. This is a fun one. You're familiar with the story of Lot? Yeah, Lot and his daughters. We just talked about that on the podcast. Okay, yeah, Lot and his daughters. What was were his daughters' names? I don't know. Exactly, because oh. the Bible doesn't give them a name. <laughs> it's just the daughters. That's what it always is. Same thing with uh, Noah. Do you know what Noah's wife's name was? It's just that a lot of women in the Bible are not named. Yeah at all who cares about women right their shadow that actually is a very good point and exactly right along the subject matter today which which is the patriarchy needs to be dismantled it's just i really have a hard time with women who try to play apologetics for the bible saying that it empowers or gives women a position of authority the bible does no favors in any way anywhere for women not on an objective read of it. Every Bible story that Sarah has told me or that I've heard doing this podcast has been less than favorable to women. And that's just another one of them. And that one is extra disgusting to me because it's like, oh, how dare a woman who's married approach an unmarried man? But a, a married man in the Bible, they approach women all the time and have sex with them. I think being a feminist and really also being a part of church culture creates a lot of cognitive dissonance. Mm. There's a lot of conflicting mm. principles and values and beliefs when it comes to that. I have a quote to tie into all this. Yeah, Tim and I have talked about this. And once since I've heard this quote, it's been really hard for me to let it go. But the quote is equality to the privilege feels like suppression. And mm. I think that's where a lot of toxic masculinity is coming from, is mm. that we are seeing that equality, and it's being perceived as suppression. Using religious examples, religion has had the privilege of not paying taxes in the United States, as well as being able to have their agendas promoted in politics. Now, there's a pushback against that, and there's this quote-unquote woke culture, but as people are saying no, there needs to be equal rights. There needs to be representation for atheists. There needs to be religion does not need to be in our schools. There needs to be separation of church and state. LGBTQ what, rights. Yeah. What's happening is that all of these movements and these things are about equality. It's giving equality to people. But Christians, many Christians, especially like Christian nationalists and some of these toxic masculine figures, is they're like, we're being suppressed. They're coming after us. They're trying to cancel us. When reality, no, just as a society and the culture, we're demanding equality. I think Mark Driscoll knows this too. And that's the whole mm -hmm. issue is that like he knows what he's doing. That puts into words a lot of the things that I think all the time. Like, why do Christians think they're being so persecuted? It's just because we're not putting them on a fucking pedestal. Like, yeah. I don't care if you're a Christian, like go right ahead. It's just, you have to be equal to everyone else now. Jess, I want my cake and I want to eat it too. <laughs> I want you to serve it to me. I don't want any rainbow ice cream. That's actually a very good way to wrap up because I do have to go. But do you have anything else you'd like to say while you're here? Do you want to plug yourselves again? Go listen to the Deconversion podcast. We would love to have you. We, I would like to throw out there just that like one of the things that we really strive with our platform with Deconversion podcast is like, what is it like to just try and move along with your life after you're done with religion? Because that's a journey unto itself. And how do you do that in a way that 
you can express your frustration and anger and indignance. We want to act out against people that are doing this stuff, especially in our country and everything we're struggling with down here. But at the same time, we want to be like offering our audience tools to move on with their life and enjoy their life on the other side of being done with this stuff. Yeah. And we like being a platform that encourages people to do whichever they would like. The only thing I have to say is thank you to you and Sarah for having us on your podcast. Yes, we thanks really so much. It. Thank you guys so much for coming on again. And Cheers. to our listeners, this will be our last episode for just the summer. We'll be back on September 5th with with our next set of episodes. So stay tuned for that. And thank you guys so much. Awesome. Thank you, Jess. Okay, bye. Bye, bye y'all. No.